Turn, if you will, to Luke 15. We were talking about the prodigal son. I want to begin at verse 25, Luke 15, 25. Now, his older brother was in the field, chapter 15, Luke, not Leviticus. Now, his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Let us set the context again. Who is Jesus talking to in this parable? Chapter 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They're offended by this. They do not like it. You are, ru are running with rogues and known bad people, fallen women, tax collectors, known thieves, uh, uh, disloyal to the nation of Israel. And so he starts telling, wait, let me tell you a story. A man finds a lost sheep, and he rejoices, and he throws a party. Do you understand that? I'm quite sure they did. A woman lost valuable jewelry coins, maybe a part of her dowry. It's highly valued. She finds it. She rejoices. They throw a party. A young son gets lost, goes into a far country. He goes to the Gentiles, disgraces his father, shames his name, wastes his inheritance. He's lost to the father. He comes home. His dad throws a party. Would you not see that as something great? No, they wouldn't. They would say, according to Deuteronomy 21, a rebellious son should be stoned to death. You don't throw parties for rebels. And that's exactly what the dad did because he welcomed him back home. And this little word here down when he, it says that uh, he asked, I, I want to get the exact, uh, your, bro, your 
brother has come and your father's killed because he has received him back safe and sound. In verse 27, they believe this is a play on the Hebrew word shalom. He's not just welcomed him back in good physical health, but the play on the word is that he's welcomed him back with reconciliation. He has made peace with his son. The safe and sound is not his physical condition, but it's a restored relationship with the father. Now, uh, the thing that's amazing about the prodigal son story, who went looking for the boy? Nobody went looking for the boy. Guess who should have been looking for him? Older brother. According to that culture, it was the job of the elder brother to go bring back anyone in the family that was in trouble. He was the designate representative to bring family order back. The old man who knows what his age was, was to maintain his dignity, keep the home going. But the heir of all that was left was to go and search out his brother. But there's nobody to look for the younger son. Nobody went. And the elder brother has totally abdicated the role he should have had because the elder brother is the Pharisees who were no longer interested in the loss. They were too busy being religious too busy caught up in religious activity to care about rebellious sons. And so what Christ is going to do for us here is show us two kinds of lostness. Rebellious lostness, the younger brother, the kind California attracts, the kind Hayton Asbury attracted in the 60s, the kind Berkeley has always attracted, the rowdy, the rebellious, the free thinker, uh, anything rowdy, uh, Berkeley has always been a magnet. San Francisco, if it's going to be liberal, if it's going to be way out, if it's going to be free thinking, wild, come on. Come on out to California. Don't go to Minnesota. Don't go to the heartland. That's not where all the rebellion, all the new ideas. It's always on one of the coast. New York City, L.A., San Francisco. But the righteous kind of brother what you would call the religious right, uh, religious to the tips of his fingernails, but lost is what Christ is going to focus on in the elder brother. So I call this in the father's house without the father's heart. He, he's never left the father, but he never has got the father's heart. He likes to stay around the home place, by the way, the ranch is now his. The father's already will, willed it to him. He gets two-thirds. The younger has spoiled his. Let's just look at the narrative and see some things, and then I want to give you three marks of uh, elder brother lostness, three marks. Let's just pick some things in the narrative. And his older son was in the field, and he came and he drew near the house. He heard music and dancing. He automatically should have gone into the party. This is happening on their place. His dad had to be throwing the party. And so he doesn't need to ask any questions. Dad runs the place. As long as dad is alive, he's still in charge of the family uh, estate. 
He's, he's willed it to this boy, but as long as dad keeps breathing, he's in charge. All the elder brother needs to do is do my, get cleaned up because the elder brother in a oriental setting is to be the host for the father. The father sits at the table. The host come and greet the father and respect his age. It's the son that's going around and seeing, do you have plenty to drink? Are the accommodations fine? Is there anything you need? He was to take the role of the household servant and represent his father, but he's outside. He doesn't automatically come in. Why in the world would you see all these guests out there, all this music, all this dancing, and him having to ask a little boy, not a servant, but a little boy, what's going on? Well, you act like your dad does this every day of the week. Get a clue. But he's clueless. I, don't, I think he's suspicious, and he doesn't want to know. And so he called one of the servants, and really in the Greek it's pados, a, a, a young lad. He calls a young lad, and he asks, what does this mean? Uh, because the music, you had to hire musicians. Dad's not playing the music. He's brought in a band. What, what, what does this mean? And he said to him, your brother has come home, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. And right then, the elder brother should have said, hallelujah, whatever makes dad happy makes me happy. Whatever makes my father happy makes me happy. But he has three responses that show he's lost in the father's house. And you find out he's as bad as the young rebellious brother. He loves the father's goods, but he doesn't love his father. He loves the things of the father, but he doesn't love the father. He can't wait till he kicks the bucket. So he gets all the inheritance, and he's just biding time till the old man dies off. And so when he hears about it, he is disgusted. He gets angry, and notice what he does. He refused to go in. Now, that doesn't bother us because we're used to rebellious young people. But the rabbis said, it is better for a man that he should himself be thrown into a fiery furnace rather than that he should put his fellow to shame in public. What the elder brother did is he shamed his father in front of about 100 guests. The younger brother shamed him in private because he, he privately asked, I want my inheritance. I want to get out of here. What the elder brother did was uh, off the map. He should have been killed. What they did in Oriental times, they would take a son that shamed a father in public. He could tell the servants, take him into a side room, take him away from the party, and after the party, they could either cane him, whip him, or stone him. And it'd be legally, and not go up for a criminal crime. No, you deserve the death penalty for you shamed your father in public in front of all these people. Who runs this place? Who owns this place? Your father. You're just the heir, but until he dies, you're under your father. But he shamed him. 
He just threw a fit in front of all these. I will not go in. And once again, we see the father showing grace like he did to the younger brother, that he split the inheritance, that he welcomed him back, and instead of him saying, cane him, let's stone him later, he goes out a patriarch with a hundred guests, with the choicest meat, with a band hired. It'd be about like you throwing a big party for all your company big wigs and your a long-haired, barefooted son comes in and cusses you out. That's what he did. But in an oriental setting where shame controlled everything, you can never, never get another birthday and do this to a patriarch. I mean, when these rabbis, when their Pharisees are hearing this, they're waiting, when do you kill these boys? When do you kill them? They're off the map. This is public disgrace. And and of all things, which throws him off, the dad, he stands out there, and he's begging the boy, come on into the party. This is my joy. This is my party. Enter into it. And the boy starts saying, wait, wait, wait. Don't tell me about this party. I've never disobeyed you. I've did this. You've never even killed a goat for me, a little lesser meat. You've never even killed a goat for me, and you want me to come into this party? And here the, sit, the dad is out there, said, I wish you'd come in. And you know the parable ends this way. It never ends with him coming to the party. He's still outside the party when this stanza ends. And it's the seventh stanza, the first poem, the first younger brother was eight stanza. This should have had eight. But it stops. It doesn't conclude at the seventh stanza because the eighth stanza should have read. And the elder brother came into the party and entered into the joy of his father's reconciliation party. And he hugged his younger brother. And the family was all put back together. And they lived happily forever. But it doesn't that. It ends tragically with a, an elder father saying, please. Come into the party. The direct application of this is Jesus was telling the Pharisees, I came to die for you too. You don't have to be a rebel to need God. You may be a self-righteous Pharisee. I want you to come into the party of reconciliation. And they said, we won't. We won't. And what history records is six months after this parable was told, the Pharisees led the Inquisition that got Christ crucified, for the real history is they led to kill the father in the story, and the father in the story is Jesus. This is about Jesus. Because you see, the father bore the shame of both sons. They shamed him. They disgraced him. They deserved the death penalty. They deserved nothing and there's only one sufferer in the narrative. It's the Father. Because the Father is the picture of Jesus coming, looking for sinners and tax gatherers. Uh, you know, we often talk about secret churches. And if you know that kind of language, secret churches became a phrase for church growth, which said, make church as seeker-friendly as you can. 
And some churches got rid of Bibles. They quit doing hymns and all because nothing that looks or feels or uh, is churchy. We've got to make it where everybody that's an unbeliever feels welcome. Make it seeker-sensitive. So the saints had to start trying to play down that they loved some of the great hymns because that wasn't sensitive. Or, or please don't crack a Bible. These people don't even own a Bible. So we de-church church to make unsaved people feel welcome. But you know what the real seeker-sensitive church is? It's not folks that change their gatherings. They seek people that are lost. If you're a seeker church, you seek people that are lost. Now, like Easter, we're coming up. We ought to have an extra two to 300 guests here because you will all go out seeking people that of one of the two times of the year that the unsaved are willing to go to church is Easter, providing you have an Easter hunt, and Christmas. They're open. They want you to ask them to go at the, oh, oh, here's your big time of the year, isn't it? Yeah. Guess what you can do? You may not be seeker sensitive. You're saying, I just hope the choir's good. I hope he didn't preach long. I hope they don't talk about money. I hope the building's heated. No, 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 no. Where is the seeker in you? Who in the world are you seeking to know the Savior? And Christ said, I'm really the true elder brother. But you see, I left the Father's house in search of lost people, for I didn't come for the righteous or the whole. I came to seek and save that which is lost. How many established churches are still seeking the lost? How, how can we get all whipped up about sending money 5,000 miles, send a check 5,000 miles away, and we don't witness to people five miles away? I see a lot of hypocrisy there. I'll mail money, but I won't get involved in reaching right here. Why did God put a church right here? We ought to be seeking everybody within 10 miles of us, which makes up about 300,000 people. Do we have anyone to work on? There's three marks of elder brother lostness. The first one is they're angry at what the father does. They stay angry, and they're truly angry that he's gracious because they have a work ethic, and they, everything they get, they deserve. And so when God is so extravagant in grace as to let people like harlots, tax collectors, and the worst, the scum of the earth, be brought to the Father's table and offered the best meal in town, it bothers them. Matter of fact, if you get too many of those kind of folks, they're going to look for a different church where they drive better cars. One guy told me a lot of people pick their church. They first of all look at the parking lot to see what kind of cars there are. Oh, yeah. So we've got about three fake beamers out there just to look good. <laughs> Keep it polished. Keep it because I ain't going to some ghetto church. I'm not going where you can just drive anything. I need status when I go to church. That's why it was hard for me to move out of Holy Ghost Hall. Don't you feel the status when I say that, Holy Ghost Hall, that you got drunk just smelling the fumes going in, or good old Rio Theater, where the, up on the marquee they had white chicks. They thought it was the white chicks church. It was some movie. But, but they never got off. White chicks come to this church. 
Well, a lot of guys said, all right, I'm looking for a date. I'll go. <laughs> See, run down places. I always loved it because only God can build a church in the Rio. Only God can build a church in the backside of town. Because God loves sinners. He's not in love with station and status and elitism. And so you first of all have to know that people who are in the house but not in love with the Father's heart, uh, it's a strain for them to think about giving money to missions, giving money for evangelism, even giving money to the youth group too much. What do they do for the church? They don't give. They're a drain. They don't give any offerings over there. Everything over in that building is a drain on us, unless your kid's there. Because you get into what's in it for me, what's in it for me, what's in it for me. They say evangelism in most local churches is a downward escalator. And I've heard pastors say, you have to double your efforts forever if you want to do evangelism because the saints don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. It's against their nature because they, many times they have a brother-elder brotherishness about them. You see, this guy, the elder brother, is not a believer. He's the Pharisee. He's religious, but he doesn't know God. And he's angry at God for showing so much grace. And uh, sometimes we can get this way in church. We become self-righteous, and we forget the pit from which we were dug. And uh, sinners pick it up. God will get it out some way how we really feel about people who are desperate. And we may not be in tune with the Father's heart. Here was a boy that wanted the Father's stuff, but he didn't want the Father's heart. The Father's, what made the Father happy didn't make him happy. It's a shock. Well, what kept him around? I want the goods, I want the property. I'm the heir, and I'm tolerating the old man. Second thing I think that you notice about uh, elder brother lostness uh, that is scary, uh, Tim Keller calls it uh, duty without beauty. Duty without beauty. Uh, You notice he said, I've slaved for you all these years. These many years, the word I served you is really I slaved. I never disobeyed your command. I've kept all the rules, and you never gave me a young goat. Well, I thought you owned the place. I thought all the property was yours. That has been willed to you. Now, you've got to know this. What kind of bothered the elder son is when dad gave the order to kill the fattened calf, which was choice meat, it was cutting in on his inheritance. And he didn't want a fattened calf. He wanted to keep everything alive. And for him, and he, um, being around the father represented only slaving. It didn't represent beauty. It didn't, he couldn't say, I delight to do thy will, O God. He could not say, your commandments to me are sweeter than honey, I've seen people at church, and it's all a drudgery. They do a lot of work, but they dread it. They're wore out about it. Got their tongue hanging out. Because 
They're not really in it for God. Uh, it's duty. Did you know a lot of church groups that aren't even Christian have a lot of workers in them? A lot of groups we say that don't even know God really, don't preach Christ alone for self. They got all kinds of workers and all kinds of money. Where in the world they get the motivation? We love to think we're earning God's favor. And uh, you can get into this idea that serving God is a matter of have to. It's what bothers me about my wife. I, I, I moved my Bible study. I used to meet on Thursday night because we can go two hours. I go two and a half hours if I want. But we moved to Wednesday night. One thing, some guys, can, their kids are in Awana, and that works out. But you know what? I did it for another reason. Uh, when I stayed home on Wednesday night, Carolyn didn't stay with me. She was wearing her Awana shirt. I said, come on, Carolyn, we've been here 40 years. You stay home with me. She said, I said, you're not the Awana leader. Anna Maria is. She said, no, but I get a chance to meet children, meet their parents, and maybe we can lead them to the Lord. Wait, wait, wait. you're talking to the senior pastor. <laughs> Honey, I'm out nearly every night. Of the I, for years, I've been out nearly every other. She said, so I can be out any night I want for Jesus, right? Don't you be insubordinate. Because <laughs> what she told I said, you don't have to do this. Or she, she has to go to everything that's involved with children. I said, you're the supervisor. You don't have to be at all of that. And then one day she just stopped me. She said, since I've been 16 and God saved me at 8, I find great joy in trying to rescue children. I think God put that in my heart. Do you want to squelch it? It's hard on you when you marry Mother Teresa. <laughs> she does it out of beauty. She's in love with what she's doing because she's not doing it for Valley. She's not doing it for me. She's doing it for the Jesus that saved her as an eight-year-old girl. Some of you need to fall in love with God so you do what you do out of beauty. I see a Ruth Fox here. Others, Ruth, she's at least over 13. Let me tell you that. And I, Mary and John's, close to 90. What, still work with the one every. You've got to be crazy, you women. You, come on. You're past retirement age. No, I'm not past the beauty of doing it for the Lord. I've been captured by something more than duty. Some of you, when we try to recruit you, you already got your guard up because you say, I hear duty calling. I hear slavery. I hear slavery. Because you're not in love with the Father's heart who loves kids and loves missions and loves evangelism and loves doing things. You can't do enough when you're in love with the person you're doing it for. I was never a cook, still not. Don't plan to be. But it was amazing when we first got married. Carolyn's working for the Richmond School District, and I was in college. I was in my junior year. I learned to cook to give her a head start in the evening when she got home. I learned rice-a-roni, uh, let's see, pork chops, burnt something else. And, but, and you know what? I, I hated to do dishes. Ruth and I fought. All, I, I always paid Ruth. Well, I didn't have any money. I'd get Ruth. You wash them. Because if I washed the dishes, they had to be rewashed. Tupperware just came out, and I left enough grease to always leave a coat on there. My mother would scream, you wash them over. So, Ruth, you wash, I'll dry. Tells you how old we are. No dishwashers. It is actual child cruelty to make them do dishes. But 
we would do that. Guess what? I learned to do dishes all the time when I first got married. You know why? In between drying, I was kissing on her. We're just married. I just want to be around her. Doing dishes was worth it if I could get in a few kisses. It made doing dishes look good. Come on, quit being so spiritual. Act like when you were first married. Yeah, honey. Hey, come on, let's keep it down on the ground. See, when you're in love with a person, what should be wearing you out in other circumstances is changed by who you're doing it for. The elder brother said, I'm just a slave. Some of you just are elder brothers. That's why we can't recruit you, and we don't need you because you're unsaved anyway. But you got a mentality. Church is slavery. It is if you don't know the Father, if you don't love his heart, and if you don't love his banquets. When you know him, his burden is light. The heavy burden of life is the burden of sin and judgment. The third thing about this boy that shows that he was really lost was superiority instead of gratefulness. He said, my brother's been with prostitutes. Nothing in the narrative said that. We do not know that he wasted his money on prostitutes, but we still think he did because his older brother uh, criticized him and accused He didn't even know where he'd been. He didn't know he'd been with the hogs. He didn't know he'd been in the far country. He never inquired. He knows nothing about his younger brother, but he's been with prostitutes, I guarantee you. How do you know? Rumors just thrive on lies. Who needs facts when you just lie? And no, nothing in the narrative. He never did tell his dad, I wasted my money on prostitutes. No, he, he's pretty, uh, I, I've wasted everything. No, no, no. But you see, when you're an elder brother in the house, you feel superior to the re rebellious brothers. And what it is, I think of the rebellious brothers a lot of times are those young people that started uh, experimenting with drugs and sacks and, and broke the rules, broke their mom and dad's heart in their younger age and whatever. And uh, a lot of times they'll flee to big cities. And they stay, a lot of times they'll be attracted to liberal churches. You know why? Conservative churches are full of elder brother types. Uh, they'll judge them. They'll look down on the nose. How could you have ever done that? How low could you go? Instead of, let's throw a party. We don't need to know everything you've done. Let's just throw a party. The Father throws parties for sinners, and he doesn't ask you every sin you did. But elder brothers want to know because they're superior. That's why they're racist. Racism is nothing but pride that whatever I am has to be better than what you are. So we're racist. We're, we're chauvinists. If I'm male, you know we're smarter than you women, although the college scores don't say that. But you know they're biased. See, we, we could foster all of this superior elitism. That's why many of our churches, that's why buildings are sometimes a threat to our message. Because they say, you've got to have it all together. They're the church uptown. Oh, you don't know where we began. And don't be fooled by the exterior if you only knew where the bunch in this church came from. We came from sin. We came from lostness. 
We came from all kinds of backgrounds. Don't think this building is our real status. We were in the pit of despair when Jesus found us. We weren't hanging out in nice buildings. We were lost. So one of the worst things you could ever have in church is superiority and pride. It's the elder brother in the house. And what is scary, you can't be a true born-again brother or sister and be the elder brother in the story. You can't, because the elder brother here is lost. He doesn't know God. But we can take on elder brotherishness, kind of a superiority that the feast in our life is, do we make the budget, not did a prodigal come home? $65,000 is the least of our problems, but I'm going to make it our problem for April. You, I warned you. I'm going to make it our problem because I ain't going to be sad. I don't want, I want to do more than wolf, wolf. It's going to be money, money, God, God. I'm warning you. If you want to visit another church, this is the time to do it. <laughs> this is the time to visit. Only 280 of you I need anyway because you're the one that will give it unless God does a miracle in some of you. God can do that. But you know what? Are we the elder brother? And I think what's amazing, Jesus came to say, I'm the true elder brother, and I cannot go any further because we're going to take communion. But I close with a moving story during the Vietnam era. A uh, guy came up missing in action. The parents were notified, and the family kept trying to find out where the, their son had last been seen, and the young brother, his older brother, found out about it, bought a ticket, flew to Vietnam, went into the jungle, searched and searched, and came out of it alive, was never killed, and what came about that was amazing, is both the Allied forces and the Viet Cong would not touch him because the word got out that he was in search of his brother so that his name became the brother. Viet Cong said, don't touch him. He's looking for his brother. Searched for weeks without being killed. Never did find him but he wasn't going to let the record be closed that he didn't at least try. And I want to tell you, the Lord Jesus found us all when we were the younger brothers, and he refused to be the elder brother because the Hebrew said he was not ashamed to call us brother. So he's my true elder brother that came looking for me when I went far from that father's house. So missions make sense. Missions is the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of God. Evangelism is the heart of God. Help us not to fall in love with the house and forget the younger brother. And let us not get so in love with the house that we lose the father's heart because that will indicate you don't know the father. When you know the father, what makes him happy, and one of the most pitiful things in this story is this. You didn't even kill a goat. For had you killed the goat, I would have partied with my friends. And that doesn't include you, Father. And it doesn't include my younger brother. 
When I'm going to have a party, it won't include my family because I don't love my brother and I don't love my dad. But the old dad says, if I throw a party, I want both of my boys there. And so Jesus ends talking to the Pharisees. I've got time to save prostitutes and tax collectors, and I came even to save religious Israel if I could only get you to come into the party. And the parable ends. They never came in, so they perished. Those who knew the most about God died without him because they wouldn't come to the party that the Messiah was throwing, a party for forgiven sinners.